John. We'll talk ESPN, Derek Jeter, and the NBA draft. It's the start of a new era, Andrew. With the first pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama from Nantar, France. And we're back. The Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. All right, John, lot to get to. Uh, we'll do who's up and who's down in a moment. Have Carp's Corner a little bit later on baseball. Uh, but got a chance to see you last week. Mike Soltis, farewell to him in Southington, Connecticut. It was good to see you. Good to see Mike. A very nice job by ESPN VP Josh Krulowitz. MCing Chris Berman there, George Grand there, uh, a lot of heavy hitter former execs like Vince Doria uh, in attendance. Uh, and so uh, a really, really nice festivities for Soltis. I'm proud that you made it out of Southington. Both of us in there with, what was it? It was like 90 PR people that, that were crawling around. We made it out safely. Nate Smelt's making it up, in fact, from uh, from Atlanta. It's good to see Nate there as well. Yeah, Nate Smelt, who's now a big wig, uh, had a Turner's talent and also had a PR. Uh, he made it up. Soltis meant a lot to him in his career as he started at ESPN. All right, let's do it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, I'm going to lead us off, and it's uh, basically the topic for the pod, the topic of the week. Uh, who's up? My who's up? Burke Magnus at ESPN. And we're going to spend a lot more time with all of the reorg over at ESPN later on in the topics uh, with Norby Williamson and Dave Roberts consolidating power uh, over at, at ESPN. But for me, the overarching story that really comes out of the, the reorg it resides with Magnus, who is now unquestionably the number two to Jimmy Pitaro, uh, and he's primed to take over ESPN should, should Pitaro ever leave. And it's, you know, there's a better than zero possibility that Pitaro leaves at some point in the next few years. He's on the short list to replace Bob Iger uh, over, at, uh, over at Disney, and, uh, and it's an opening that, that could be there. So what was the most notable to me is that the areas where Magnus does not have a lot of experience, i.e. the content, uh, that's where he's going to rely on two of the most experienced uh, exec executives that ESPN has in, in uh, Norby Williamson and, and Dave Roberts. So that's a, that was just, if I'm taking a look at a 50,000 foot view of what went on with the reorg, that to me is the, the number one with a bullet. And my who's up is Jason McCourty, uh, who is going to do some games for CBS to add to his good morning football work, his daily work for NFL Network. Uh, we've talked about this for about a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. The McCordys are coming. They are going to be a big part of your NFL lives. They've been, you know, because they played in the secondary, yes, they were well-known, uh, but you just didn't know them as well, especially Devin playing with the Patriots and Belichick keeping everyone under wraps. But now you have Devin McCourty doing Sunday night football, the pregame football night in America, which is the most highly rated pregame show of all the networks. Uh, and now Jason McCourty adding some CBS games. Tiki Barber, I also reported, is going to do a full slate of uh, NFL games uh, for CBS. He was just doing part-time Previously, also is doing afternoons at WFAN. So uh, Tiki Barber, who's who's up last week, uh, he gets joined now by Jason McCourty, another CBSer now getting a who's up uh, here from our podcast. 
I'm going to go who's down. This guy's been a who's down for me before. It's a John Angelos, the owner of the Baltimore Orioles. And that's because Angelos came down on the losing side of a dispute that Mass and the, uh, the Orioles majority owned RSN uh, had with the Washington Nationals over how much the RSN should be paying the Nationals for the rights fees. The courts came out, the Orioles agreed, Masson agreed that they're going to pay the Nationals $100 million to cover five years of underpaying the team. And so while this is a, undoubtedly a victory for the Nationals or getting a, a, a healthier rights fee, you know, it's, it's really not as big a win as some believe. $100 million over five years, from 2012 to 2016, 20 million a year. What is that? A, a Yankee middle reliever, right, uh, Andrew? It's half a season for uh, for Tom Brady uh, with Fox. But what this does do is it frees up the Nationals for a sale. The dispute that they've been having with Masson put the sale on hold. The, the Lerner family, which owns the team, had been looking to sell. And, and because of the dispute, nobody really wanted to invest too much until, until this got settled. Now it's settled. But what's most interesting to me is uh, the local sports market in Washington, D.C., in the whole area, Ted Leonsis just bought the uh, uh, NBC Sports Washington, the regional sports network from NBC. He has a bid on the table to try to buy the Nationals, and he needs that summer programming to uh, to fill out the, the RSN there, and he he's really wants to make a go of this. So how that all fits in is something to, that bears a lot of watching. All right, my who's down is the direct-to-consumer regional sports apps. Why do I say that now? Is because last week, YouTube dropped SNY here in New York. Uh, and it just became clear to me that when these things happen, when you have the um, apps, and SNY does not have direct-to-consumer product, MSG's rolling theirs out for the Knicks and Rangers this summer. Yes, already has one. SNY does not. They'll probably have one next year, I would think. But when people who have YouTube, they're Met fans, the Mets are having a terrible year. And I do think some people will say, you know what? They're having a terrible year. I'm not going to change my cable to go follow the Mets. I can live without them because they're not doing well. Now they could they have a huge payroll. They could change things around. But I do think when you have, and we see this, because of the easiness, when you do have the regional sports networks of being able to cancel when you go month by month, I think that's a major problem for teams because, you know, we've seen this, you can see it on websites. Um, people read less when the teams aren't good. They watch less when the teams aren't as good. And I just think um, not only, you know, without the bundle, are you not getting uh, the person who's not watching, paying for these regional sports networks and ESPN, but when the teams are, when you start paying direct to consumer, if your team is not doing well, you might say, you know what, come August, come September, and then into the off season, you're not going to pay, you know, that $20 or plus a month. Uh, for your direct-to-consumer product. Uh, I think that's another issue that you know, Major League Baseball, hockey, and the NBA are going to have to deal with on the RSN local rights level. Couldn't agree with that anymore. I mean, the whole idea is it, conservatively, 80% of the subscribers were not watching these local sports every, every single day. So you're not only are you losing payments from those the 80% that came out per month, if, if you were 
an Orioles fan, fan any time over the last five years, you're not subscribing to it. They're losing 120 games a season. You know, now, now you might, but that's a, it's a big problem. And even this year, uh, you know, the athletic had layoffs. The Orioles are very good this year, as you may have mentioned 8,000 times on this podcast. Um, but they let go a fine writer, Dan Connolly, who uh, covers the Orioles because the readership didn't back up keeping, you know, at least in the athletic and the New York times eyes, keeping that coverage, which, you know, to me, if you're covering everything, you have to kind of stay with it. So you're, you have expertise on the, those teams in the long term, but you know, they see the internal numbers and the readership was lower uh, for the Orioles because uh, apparently you and like three of your friends were the only ones reading the stories from the athletic. <laughs> All right, let's get to the topics. Topics dominated this week by ESPN uh, and by the layoffs that have been happening uh, for the past several months and, uh, and uh, the reorg that's going on. The layoffs started about three months ago with Disney. Then they went to ESPN. And now the, uh, the, the, there was another round with ESPN. And now it's starting to hit the, the talent, including ESPN radio. You've, you reported months ago. I forget when this was. It might have even been a year ago. It wasn't. It was, it was months ago. But they said there were no sacred cows uh, at, at ESPN, that everybody was up. Is that what you're seeing right now, Andrew? Yeah, I think that that's what you're going to see with the on-air layoffs, that the, the no sacred cow line that I was told, you know, when I first wrote that story going into the layoffs, I think that's what you're going to see. I think some big names um, will be let go or offered buyouts. And I think, um, you know, I had the ESPN radio, they're going to scrap the morning show. So you look at someone who we've talked about, Max Kellerman, uh, who's had a very fine career uh, thus far. But, you know, he first was on first take. Stephen A. wanted to do his own thing. And so then Max got taken off first take. They did give him his own TV show in the afternoon. This just in. That is only rated okay. It hasn't really taken off. And then he was put on the morning radio show with Keyshawn Johnson and Jay Williams. That, you know, the show's been okay. But it, it, they are going to, you know, they're kind of getting out of radio. You know, you also have to look at actions to see where things are going. And if you look at what they did, you know, there's three rounds of Disney layoffs. ESPN didn't have any of the first round, then the second round and the third round. In the second round, ESPN radio behind the scenes people a lot got hit, which kind of shows you where their importance, you know, they're, they're not emphasizing ESPN radio. Uh, so I don't think they're going to pay as much. They'll still have a morning show. They're just not going to pay as much. I do want to, to get this. You said they're, it looks like they're getting out of radio. What does that mean? I shouldn't say getting out of radio. That's a little too much, but they're, they're, they're not emphasizing radio um, and maybe getting out of radio, but I don't think they're going to spend as much on that morning show. I mean, you look at it. I reported Keyshawn Johnson just last year. Now he does the NFL TV stuff as well, but he just signed a five-year $18 million contract around $18 million. Uh, and then Max Kellerman was making around $5 million. I think Jay Williams makes a couple of million dollars. So you add all that up. Now, it's not all those guys all do other things. So it's not all for radio, but it's a millions and millions of dollars show. I think the next team probably won't make close to that. You know what they do. I think they'll 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 do something different. And there's just a there's not an emphasis on radio. I mean, it's just it's not. I mean, they have Mike Greenberg does their midday show and Greenberg does. He has a lot of jobs, um, but he's not on that ESPN radio show that often. It's Chris Carlin and, and Chris Canty all the time. Like the show should be called like in for Greeny um, instead of maybe green. <laughs> <laughs> but so I look, they're de-emphasizing it. So then you look at, you know, could Keyshawn Johnson get 
offered a buyout. Uh, that seems possible. Um, and then I do think he becomes a candidate, not a definite solution, but definitely a candidate for FS1 with Skip Bayless. He already lives out in LA. Jay Williams' contract, he said publicly, his contract's up at the end of the summer. Uh, I think it's someone who ESPN likes, but they'd have to talk about a new position and a new role in terms of uh, what uh, Williams does. And so uh, I think those are part. I just think, you know, let's, we're not going to, you know, we're, when we're taping this, the layoffs haven't happened and the buyouts haven't started yet. We don't need to go name by name of what we heard because, it, you know, eventually they're going to come out. But uh, I think there'll be some big names. Everything I've heard suggests that Sports Center. Uh, NFL programming and NBA programming is, uh, are sort of the ones to watch. Is that what you're uh, tracking with what you're hearing as well? Well, yes, because, you know, a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, like you look at baseball, they've already scraped baseball to its uh, you know, core. Like how much more can they do to baseball? Uh, they only have uh, Sunday night baseball. They don't really have games of the week. Like even in London, they had Michael Kay and A-Rod who do a few games a year. They were doing it with Tim Kirchin. Uh, so uh, you know, could college football get hit a little bit? I wouldn't be shocked if that happened uh, just a little bit. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, that's where they have so many people. I think those are kind of um, when you just kind of look at it and try to look at it from the sky. It's like, yeah, that makes sense because that's where they have the most people and most big money people. Because, you know, I think part of this, too, you know, I talked about the no sacred cows. I think part of this, too, is that ESPN's leadership has tried, I think are going to take a little bit more of a bite out of the talent on air people to try to save some behind the scenes people, because, you know, you take out someone making two, $3 million a year uh, that can save a lot of jobs of other people. Now it doesn't help the people who get laid off already, who are already part of the, the reduction in staff that was ordered by Disney or getting rid of 7,000 jobs uh, that Bob Iger decided on that. But uh, it does, I think that's where they've kind of focused a little bit that you know, I don't know the target number that they have to hit, but the, the, you can if you can take big chunks uh, that helps you get to the number and then saves other jobs that are behind the scenes. And again, if you're not a, a needle mover, you know, like Stephen A is not going anywhere. Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, so there are there are sacred there are sacred cows. Are Steve, sacred Stephen cows. A is a sacred cow. SVP At is a sacred cow. At that point, cow. there are no sacred cows. But you're right. There were. I mean, what do you guys <laughs> say? A source tells you that? You think, well, actually, there are. Yeah, you're right. There, <laughs> technically speaking, there are sacred cows. Because, well, but that doesn't mean they didn't look at it. Not that they, I don't think Stephen. No, we, we actually have to prepare this. I want to do this in, in the, within the next couple of weeks. Who are the sacred cows there? Because I, I don't want to okay. do it over my uh, top of my head. But you certainly have Stephen A. SVP. You know, the NBA like Breen is is in there. Uh, Aikman and uh, and Buck are in there. Like, yep. I'm not sure where Greeny falls in there. Uh, Greenberg, Mike, uh, I think I would put him in the sacred cow. I was trying to follow your producer. You said, let's do this in a couple of weeks. And then you said, I don't want to do it off the top of my head. And then you named six people. And then I just did it off the top of my head. I yeah, was wondering yeah. if I could get You got it time. right. I mean, I'd say Wilbon and Kornheiser probably are in there. Yeah. Um, Kirk Herbstreet's definitely in there. Herbstreet's certainly in there. Hockey, I don't see anybody on hockey with that. No, I'd say those are the sacred cows. But yeah. they, we could add some sacred cows. And then when this comes out, we're going to get seven texts. Why was I on the sacred cow? Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's actually better to do it off your top, the top of your head. That's a ready-made excuse there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't think about it fully. Yeah, they're, they're, you're all sacred cows. McAfee, sacred cow, at least for right now. And this moves us you know, into uh, the reorg that ESPN announced last week. Uh, you had the story, although... I did kind of sneak in on you a little bit with the Norby Williamson, <laughs> the NFL news. Uh, 
which I know you appreciated. When you look at it, what's your number one takeaway with uh, the ESPN reorganization? The question I always get asked is, who emerged as the big winners uh, from this? And so if I'm going to give you the, the top three winners, number one by far for me is Norby Williamson. I mean, Norby through the years has either been you know, part of the power structure or, or, or one step away from, from leaving the company, depending on, on who his bosses were or, or, or how that, that is working out. With this move, he and Dave Roberts are the two people that are really running that, the, the, the production of the biggest events and, and the biggest programming that, uh, that, that ESPN has. So I'm putting Harvey uh, Williamson at number one. Uh, Dave Roberts I had at number three only because uh, Tina Thornton, is coming in and taking over all of marketing from uh, Laura Gentili. By all accounts, Laura Gentili left on her own. Uh, I have no, no reason to believe that she was part of the, part of the layoffs. Uh, she said that she went on her, on her own in, in, a, in an internal memo that went out and everything, everybody I've talked to has somewhat confirmed that. But it's a big job for, for Tina who has been with the company for decades and is really well respected and it's a, it's a, it's a good position uh, for her to, to be in. And then uh, if I have a, a, a number four on my, on my winners list is a, a combo. I'm actually going to do five, I guess. Five winners. Uh, okay. Nick Dawson, John Lasker, uh, they're over in programming. And they, they both got promoted. They're going to be reporting into Ross Durant. And they, they just were, were able to see their portfolios really grow in terms of what they're going to be handling. Uh, so they got promoted out, out of this as well. And so if I have five people who really emerged as a big winners from this, it's those five. I would agree. Um, you know, I, I said this in my newsletter on Monday that uh, Norby Williamson is like Jon Snow. Uh, if ESPN is Game of Thrones, because it was just a couple of months ago, there were rumors that Norby was going to leave, either retire or just leave ESPN. Now he comes back with control of uh, the NFL and college football. Uh, so a big comeback with that. And I think if you look at the reorg, Stephanie Drewley, she was in charge of the NFL. She's moving more to an operations position. Uh, I think when you look at it, there was a lot of infighting because one thing in the previous setup that I think they've solved this time is that Norby Williamson was head of the talent office. So when you're head of the talent office, you're kind of in charge of how much everyone can make. Um, and when you're doing that, then you're kind of overseeing all of the departments. And that caused a lot of infighting of what they should do. Now, uh, Burke Magnus, you're who's up. He's in charge of, uh, of that department. That makes more sense. So people feed into him. And then, you know, he's the president of content. So that makes more sense that he is going to be the one deciding that instead of, you know, when Norby Williamson is in charge of baseball and there's a decision on the NFL uh, in terms of how much to pay somebody, should that be in Norby's hand? That doesn't really make sense. And, you know, then that uh, landed, uh, I think, on Pataro's desk. And now you put Burke Magnus in there and, and he'll take care of that, uh, those situations. The other thing is, I think there is a feeling that they had three people in Norby Williamson, Dave Roberts and Stephanie Drewley uh, doing a job that's probably best for two people. And now they'll just have Norby Williamson and Dave Roberts doing handling, overseeing all of those uh, departments. And they, they, they think that's going to be more of a streamlined uh, situation. You know, this is important because this is going to determine people's careers, the coverage. I mean, look at the NFL and Norby Williamson. If, he, you know, there's rumors he's going to leave now, does he stay through 27 
and the Super Bowl, um, which, you know, he'll shape that coverage. You know, obviously, Pitaro and Burke Magnus will have a big, uh, big say as well. But but Norby Williams is in charge of the NFL. So, um, you know, he usually has an old school approach. Um, that's kind of been his M.O. Uh, throughout his career. And so I could see that. And when you look at the coverage of the NFL, you know, that's something to watch. I'm so glad you got into that because I wanted to get into, you know, what does this mean for the viewers? Mm-hmm. And for the, for the viewers, Norby's whole reputation, you know, when he took over SportsCenter was sort of, you said old school. I, I was going to describe it as he doesn't go outside the box, really. There aren't going to be really that many new bells and whistles to to to, uh, to come out with a lot, lot of his productions. He just wants to to really, you know, if, if I can ruin cliches, make the blocking and tackling just as good as it can be and just focus on that area and not, you know, worry so much about sky cams or, or these new innovations that, uh, that, that, you know, other network executives really sort of go to town on. Okay, let's get off ESPN uh, for a moment. Derek Jeter, he made his actual debut from London, you were watching. What did you think? I thought he did well. I mean, I thought Jeter would do well. I was told beforehand that he's into it. Uh, he looked into it. Uh, they leaned in a lot with David Ortiz about Yankees Red Sox in the post game. Ortiz uh, gave Jeter a Red Sox jersey with his name on it. I, I think it's fine in the first time out, but I think Fox shouldn't lean on that the whole time. Yankees Red Sox. I think maybe that appeals to people around where I live, but I think the rest of the country will, that'll be pretty old to them. Um, but Jeter was very relaxed. He does have charisma. Uh, you saw the Tao of Jeter, which is basically no excuses, which is probably his most admirable uh, trait as a player uh, and what made him, you know, a captain and a nearly unanimous hall of fame inductee. Uh, and I think you saw that in his comments talking about the London infield, uh, you know, that the dirt, you know, A-Rod talked about the dirt and and uh, Jeter said something to the effect of like, you, yeah, that's true, you know, but you play on different infields all season and you can't let that get in your head and make have an excuse about it. Uh, so I thought Jeter did well. Um, did you watch? No, I did not watch. The reason I asked, okay, the reason I asked, I wasn't sure if you did, but he did very, this is what you should have watched because he was very complimentary of Adley, Adley Rushman. Rushman. Adley right. Rushman. He even said he was I like Derek Jeter now all of a sudden. He was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised, which I thought was an interesting choice of word, pleasantly surprised about the Orioles. And he loved <laughs> Adley Rushman, which might have been impacted by the interview you did with him, which you probably mentioned Adley Rushman like 16 times, I'm sure. I, I wanted to, I couldn't get off Jeffrey Mayer. Like I, I was stuck. I, I had the sticky brain with Jeff, Jeffrey Mayer if I had Derek Jeter on. I couldn't you should have why. Very complimentary to the Orioles. So he was, it was fine. I mean, it was, look, it wasn't the greatest. It was like, oh my goodness, this is changing the world. But I think Fox is what they're trying to do. Is it, does it feel bigger with Derek Jeter on there? Yeah, he's the biggest star. Kevin Burkhart's a tremendous point guard. Alex Rodriguez is a celebrity in his own right and had, a very, you know, had a great career, checkered career. Uh, David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. But when Derek Jeter's on the set, he's the biggest star. If you look at the way Fox does all of their pregame shows, this fits right into it. And it, it puts Jeter, if he's willing to show his personality and if he's willing to have a little bit of levity, you know, when it comes, uh, it puts him in, in a position to succeed. It's not heavy lifting, you know, because it's only an hour show. They plan it out. 
They had one silly segment where they were on like a double decker bus and David Ortiz was the tour guide. And it was kind of funny. I mean, Jeter and, and A-Rod had the same uh, like a white shirt and white button down and jeans on, which I'm sure was like a thing. I could just see Jeter's face when I could just see that. Uh, they didn't address it, but I could see that being a thing. Yeah, and he didn't make fun of uh, A-Rod, which I wrote about a lot of probably they probably like, yeah, let's not do that. I do think he'll do that eventually. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, so it was good. They, they, they did well. Another big event uh, is, uh, look, we're not actually talking about games on the field. We're talking about the pregame show and now the NBA draft that ESPN had, um, which you reviewed in your uh, New York Post Sports Plus uh, newsletter and made, made a lot of comments that I actually really agreed with. I wanted more Woj. I wanted to see Woj bombs during the show because that's uh, that's what he's known for. And I was really stu- uh, struck with, you know, as soon as the draft ended, Bill Simmons, who's no longer with ESPN, came out with a tweet. It was a video that was two minutes. And it was like, who was, who was the biggest winner? Who was the biggest loser from the draft? And it was just like that. That's what I want to see more of. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see, I know you're talking about in some cases, 18 year old kids that are getting drafted now and people are reticent to saying, uh, uh, being realistic about them. But I, I want to say like, what is this team doing? That doesn't fit with what their needs are. I, I just need a little bit more. I'm not calling for hot takes, but a little bit more analysis to really th- th- benefit uh, me, the viewer. Yeah, it was fine. It just lacks spice. And that's where like someone, if you have like a draft guru and like Mel Kuyper Jr. doesn't really do it as much as he once did. But what made the draft the draft, again, it's not only Kuyper, but he did help make it that because it became a TV event because of some of the uh, things he said about the Jets or the Colts uh, that was very, very interesting. And I just think the problem with it that I have with the coverage um, is that there wasn't enough. Uh, from the analyst of like, I don't like this pick, you know, this is, I, Oh, I think that's high. Uh, and I, there wasn't enough of that. Now they would say like, this is what he needs to improve upon. And I get it. It's young kids, you know, a lot of ways, like, you know, these are 18 year olds, some of them, but some of them are older, but that said it is the NBA. I mean, this isn't, this is professional basketball. The fact that the, you know, guys are young again, not to make it personal. Like, you don't, I think that, you know, one of the things I think I would be cognizant of, and I think you should be cognizant of if you're an analyst and that you don't want to ruin someone's moment, right? They're getting drafted and you don't want to ruin their moment. But I do think there's a way to, to talk about it where they could have had a little bit more. And that's where, you know, if you have someone with a draft board and Jay Billis does have a draft board, but I think like Bill is obviously qualified to do that. I just like someone who's just like, that's their, what they do. Um, and, uh, and have a willingness to sort of have an opinion about it, which is difficult, especially now with social media, because back in the day you could say it and you didn't get a million people telling you you're a jerk, but, uh, but it is better TV and it, it lacked that. And I, I would love to see them add someone, um, you know, with a, you know, one of their draft people and, you know, they could pick which one, but put them on the set. And then Woj reporting, you, you know, and, and so do I, I mean, it doesn't, it happens when it happens. You can't just make it happen. And Woj had some good bombs in there. Um, but I do think like Woj coming on the screen, like during the draft is like a big deal. That's why you pay him the, like one of the reasons you pay him the big bucks, like, whoa, like we have Woj and like, you kind of want that anticipation of Woj is coming on what's going on. Like that's where he didn't tweet this year. That's what you want. Um, and they did, I get the eighth and ninth pick was trade and he had that story, but I think that's where 
you know, I know Woj is a hard-nosed journalist, but that's where like the TV aspect of it comes in and where it helps to be that character, the guy who everyone looks to for that news. Um, and so I, I do think there's a way to kind of play up the I- idea of Woj bombs or and even Woj analysis. Like just, I want to know what's going on exactly behind the scenes of these teams, which they did do more of that with the storytelling. And that was a goal that they had without the tipping of the picks. But when you see Woj come on screen, there's an expectation of I'm about to learn something that I didn't know already, just in terms of uh, information that's out there. And I just want to go back to Mel Kuyper real quick. It wasn't just about what Mel Kuyper said. It was the reaction that the Jets executives had to him. And 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 that's all that's all going to happen. It's uh, it made for great TV there. hundred percent. Andrew, we have to speak about uh, Shams Charania, um, of course, with the athletic, with stadium, also has a deal with FanDuel. He had a tweet uh, that went out early in the draft. Sources, Scoot Henderson is gaining serious momentum at number two with the Charlotte Hornets in tonight's NBA draft. Hornets have been torn over the last week between Henderson and Brandon Miller. Team has final meetings today to settle on a decision. Shams, when he put out that tweet, he also works for a fan duel, which saw its uh, the, the odds change and a lot of betting go, go down uh, on who was going to be the second pick taken in the NBA draft. Like I said, the Wall Street Journal wrote about this. The Washington Post wrote about this. Talking about a New York Times employee effectively putting out a tweet that's moving money lines when you're also representing those money lines. Um, I, I find it hard to believe that, 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 that he did that on purpose. I, I truly believe that, that he went out with, uh, with what he thought was real information. But the, the, the optics of that, Andrew, it's, it's hard, to, uh, hard to get away from. Yeah, well, I think when you look at it now, The Athletic is owned by The New York Times. The New York Times does not let its baseball writers vote on the Hall of Fame or I think awards um, because they don't want to be part of the news. Uh, I don't know. This seems a little bit even more extreme. I, like, I agree with you. I don't think Shams is, I don't think anything untoward happened. I did find it interesting that Woj said it was always Brandon Miller. It's been Brandon Miller. <laughs> he really <laughs> emphasized it. It definitely was a subtweet uh, of of commentary from Woj on Shams. Uh, but yeah, I think look, I I think there's a lot of places that betting is going that I and I kind of I never wrote this, but I had this story in mind. Like, are we sure about betting? Like, you know, in terms of sports, uh, everyone's just jumped right in after saying forever that it was fine. Um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things that go along with it. And we're seeing with the NFL, um, which might get worse uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the issues that they're having with players betting. I don't really understand why you can vote on this. I don't understand why you can vote on like uh, the color of jerseys or certain things. I just don't understand how you're allowed to get, I know that I think there's caps on these things. I just don't understand. Like why would a GM just tell all his family members and friends to, to bet on who he's going to pick since he already, he knows the answer. Kids these days, uh, Andrew, like Gen Z, they have a, a meme on social media about the, the storylines that, that, that are part of every single uh, game. And if they can get a, a copy of the script, you know, then they can actually bet on the game and make it happen. And it's a, it's a funny it's a funny meme and it's a, it's a joke. But ultimately, it's not very good for the leagues to, to have this sort of joke that you know things are scripted in order to make the most money from gambling that they can. A hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, Andrew, it's time for another installment of Corpse Corner. 
Austin Carp, uh, SBJ's ratings. What are you, what are you this week? Guru still or? Oh, shaman, uh, Sherpa, whatever you want to call me, whatever gets us up Everest, you know? Listen, I've, I've been wanting to have you on for a couple of weeks because I've, everybody has been writing about these rule changes in baseball and how good it is for the game. Uh, the TV numbers have not really, really borne that out that much. Have they, Austin? You know, not on the whole, not in particular. And especially when we looked at it during the first two months of the year, the networks, the big packages, Sunday Night Baseball and Fox, they were still down. But if you look at the numbers since, I guess, since the school year has let out over this last month, ESPN has kind of turned the tide a little bit. They are now up for Sunday Night Baseball, up around 2%. How did that happen? They finally started to get some of those Yankees games on. They had three Yankees games in a row, including two Yankees-Red Sox games. That helped. But in terms of the rule changes that you're talking about, I think you're starting to see that a little bit reflected in the numbers as well. You know, I think around half of the games so far have been under three hours. If you look at the same period last year, half of the games were over three and a half hours. So I think viewers are maybe responding to that a little bit, and it's helping them climb back up on the ESPN side. Fox, not so much. Um, the broadcast network itself, still down a little bit, down around 4%, but they really front-loaded that schedule this year. It's something they haven't really tried before. Those are their generally Saturday night, 7 p.m. games. So I'm curious to see how that finishes out for the season. FS1, viewers not really tuning into that package. I think it's on pace to see its lowest viewership for a season, down around 20%. So it, it's not up across the board for sure. John, I think that's one for having announcers there as well. FS1 doesn't have those announcers there. Uh, when you watch those games, it's very evident. Uh, and I think the audience, and they might notice a little bit. Uh, on the Fox games, the big Fox games, they do have the broadcasters there, including in London last week. But uh, FS1, it kind of feels like an afterthought for baseball and perhaps for viewers as well. You're, you're even seeing bigger numbers on some of the MLB wet network, non-exclusive games. Those are oftentimes beating those FS1 matchups. That's never happened before, has it? Not, not from what I can remember. I know it's folly to predict ratings, especially going on for the rest of the season, but would you suggest that MLB is set up well for the rest of the season because of the, the short games and the, the matchups that are to come, or is this something that they should, should be a little bit concerned about? I think the rule changes are helping a little, but I still think there are some systemic issues with baseball, the way that it's served regionally and how it be, has become such a tribal sport. I think they really need to figure out a lot of these midweek games and how they're delivered and how those audiences are measured. I mean, we've gone so many years with those midweek games being blacked out. Um, there's just not a really big audience for them. So I think baseball still has some things to figure out. And Austin, is there any way to know about Apple's doubleheader on Friday nights and then Peacock Sunday morning games? Yes, these are numbers that go into the ether and we never hear from them again. Okay, so we don't know how they're doing. <laughs> we, do um, we can just kind of guess or kind of hear some things. All right, so let's look ahead next week. All-Star game. What are you looking at? I think it could stay flat, maybe see a slight uptick. I think you're going to see some big names. You want to see the Julio Rodriguez come in there and compete in the home run derby. There really isn't much else going on or even on the calendar coming up outside of like the Women's World Cup. It's one of those odd years. And when it's a quieter summer, I think that baseball does have a chance to show a slight uptick for All-Star Weekend in Seattle. What was the number last year? It was 7.5 million for the All-Star game. That's a record low. I think it bounces back. I'm not sure it gets above 8 million, but I think it does rebound off that record low last year. All right, Andrew, before you let Austin go, I, indulge me one, one final question. Austin, who's the best catcher in the major leagues right now? Don, you're camped outside of his house all the time. Come on. We're talking Adley Rushman, okay? 
What do you think I'm going to say? Another Orioles fan. He can come on anytime, Andrew Marshan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adley Rushman. He might be, it might be Marshan, Oren, and Rushman. If it's not Marshan, Oren, and Corpse Corner. Corpse Corner. Thanks, Austin. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, guys. Austin. All right, Andrew, uh, let's get to our call of the week. Call of the week. We've been talking all pod about ESPN layoffs and changes at ESPN. Well, last week, longtime Sports Center anchor Neil Everett uh, said goodbye on screen to uh, to the Sports Center. Here he is with uh, Stan Verrett. Well, this is this is the end of the line uh, for me. Uh, I'm not on social media, but Stan has uh, has told me that uh, I've, you know some of you have left some favorable tweets, and uh, it's been it's been nonstop. And I, and I appreciate that because that's what you do. You do this to, you know, to entertain you all out there and entertain yourself. Uh, the one tweet I remember, it was, it, was, it was somebody sent it to me. It was attached to a chain, a tweet chain, right? Yeah. And it said, uh, I've been watching SportsCenter religiously for 20-plus years, and I've never heard of Neil Everett. <laughs> and I'm like, what? O- only Neil. Yeah. Only Neil. Hey, hey, man, it's been an honor and a pleasure. A viewer, Matthew Glover, made this. Love is a long road. I'll see you down it. Love you, man. I don't have anything to add to that, Andrew. Love is a long road. I'll see you down it. It was nice. Nice send off. And thing, good thing about Neil Everett, uh, who uh, is the reputation he had with his fellow uh, employees and the people he worked with. He seemed to be really well-liked, seemed to be a good guy. That West Coast Sports Center, that was new when they went out and did that. Uh, he and Stan, uh, Stan Verrett. It made some hay, you know, like it's one of those things that if it's not in your, it was never like in my cycle of watching sports center, but for people who was like, they, they lived with uh, that tandem. And, and then when I saw it, it was, it was, it was always, it was, it was always pretty good. Um, and so uh, we wish him the best. Well, it brings us to the end of another uh, episode. Andrew, the, thank you everybody for listening. If you can, please go uh, rate us uh, five stars, hopefully master the board. Chris Mason gets a shout out AC Wyatt as well. Uh, for helping put this thing together. Um, Always fun, Andrew. Thanks for listening. And next week, I'm not going to be here. John, are you going to reveal who your uh, special guest host is? I should, shouldn't I? Paul Feinbaum, one of my favorite guys. And uh, we're going to go, we're going to geek out, Andrew, and sports media and college sports. Awesome. Looking forward to listening. I got a chance to see you, which was great, at Mike Solstice's what am I? I'm just I'm last time promise guys. All right. I'm going to miss my vacation. Three bloopers. I'm bloopers. on the bloopers. I can't wait. Three. Chris Mason, you're getting all this, right? Yeah. I just all checked. Right. You don't get a vacation, Andrew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm already on vacation. It looks like, sounds like Scott Henderson is gaining serious momentum at John, number two. It's scoot. It's scoot Henderson. Good. Thank you. I'm not wearing my glasses. That's all right. And also Three. good job saying, of course, when you ask me all the places that he works at like two seconds earlier. I know. <laughs> and I just did that for the bloopers. Tip of the hat. Get that, that in there. Only did that for the bloopers. Uh, Austin, could you just make sure that you say Sunday night baseball? Okay. Did I say football? Yes. Yeah.